Welcome back to the Arsenal Therapy Podcast. My name is Farhan, also known as Gunner since 96. And as always, joining me here this evening is Adam Keyes. Adam, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, here we go. Arsenal will spend £200 million this summer. Agree or disagree? Agree. Unlimited amounts of money or a living, breathing, footballing culture with the correct philosophy. Pick one. Oh, uh, living, breathing, footballing philosophy. Okay. And finally, the Saudi model will do more harm than good. Agree or disagree? Agree. Oh, interesting. Okay, good stuff. And before we get chatting with Adam, I should also mention that for this bonus episode, we've got ourselves a very special guest. Yes, that's right. Joining us here this evening, it gives me immense pleasure to say that we've got Andrew Mangan, also known as Arsblog, in the building. Andrew, um, hold on. I didn't press the crowd cheer button. Give me a second. All right, calm down. We've only just started. Okay, Andrew, um, thanks for joining us this evening. How are you doing, my friend? Hey, guys. I'm good. I'm good. I hope uh, summer is treating you well so far. Yeah, it's actually been a really nice dry day today. I never thought I'd say this, but um, the grey weather, I've never been more happy to see grey skies. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, it's been pretty good where, where, where I am over here anyway. Um, and, and look, it's great to have you here with us. Uh, but before we get into the show, I wanted to ask if you could maybe give our wonderful listeners an introduction into who you are, because I was under the impression that anyone who listens to anyone trying to replicate the years of your hard work would know who Arsblog is, but it seems as though there are actual living people who um, listen to this very show, Adam, and yet they don't—they haven't come across Arscast Extra. Um, oh, I know, they're, crazy. They're missing out. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, Andrew, it would be really nice if you could kind of give a little synopsis into kind of who you are. Well, I mean, look. First thing I'd say is that uh, you know there are so many podcasts and so many YouTube channels and so many really good Arsenal content creators out there that, um, you know, new generations or the next generation, you know, they, they find their own thing that brings them into it. And, uh, you know, I've been around for a while, so, uh, it's quite plausible that, that lots of people have not heard of, of who I am or what I do, but I have a website called Arsblog, which started in 2002, the podcast, which is called the Arsecast, very imaginative, but uh, that began in 2006. So we've been going a long time, a long time. And uh, we're maybe a bit more on the traditional platforms, not as much on YouTube as, as some people are. You know, we put the podcast up there, but we don't really do video and, and, and what have you. So maybe that's that's part of it. But yeah, we do, we do our stuff every week and, um, you know, try and talk about Arsenal and do so with seriousness but without taking it all too seriously because there's fuck all we can do about any of it at the end of the day (laughs) Uh, and we're all just fans so that's that's my summation of what i do so i hope that's okay 
Yeah, that's brilliant. Um, I actually had a question for you as you were speaking there. Um, you know, you've been going for a very, very long time. And mm-hmm. um, it just strikes me that how, you know, consistent you've been over the years as well. What what keeps you going and how do you manage to churn out every week um you know content where whether it be the ask cast extra or you know the, the daily blogs as well um we've been doing this for a few years and we feel already quite um <laughs> you know exhausted from it but yeah mm-hmm. tell us kind of uh, give us an insight into the journey and what it's been like um i mean i just don't know what else to do at this point in my life, I've been doing it so long and it's become so, uh, you know, part and parcel of what I do and, and my, my work that, you know, it's just, a, I won't say habit, but, you know, I get up every morning and I write a blog about Arsenal every single morning. Um, and I kind of feel like a sense of responsibility to the people who read it every day. And that's, that's part of what keeps me going. But like I said, it's just so ingrained in, in my, my daily routine that I I would feel weird not doing it. You know, if I go on holidays, I get some other people to do it, but for the most part, it's, it's me doing it every day. So it's, um, it's also because like at the end of the day, I am writing and talking about Arsenal which is the club I've been supporting for my entire life. And it's basically my full-time job. And how lucky am I to to have that, you know? So that's kind of it. That's kind of it. It's it's there. People want the stuff. I'm there to give them the stuff. And uh, it works. It's a two-way street, I guess. Um, so, you know, I'm I'm very privileged and fortunate to do what I do. So I don't take it for granted. And I do it... Um, to the best of my ability every day and every week. And, um, you know, here we are. Here we are indeed. I never thought I'd see the day where you would be um, talking to ourselves, you know, listeners and fans of the show, but here we are. It's what dreams are made of, I guess. Um, we, we, we recorded a couple of days ago and we tend to only record one episode every week, but mm. we wanted to treat this as a special episode um, in the sense that, you know, we're going to be speaking to you and we wanted to pick your brains on themes and things and topics related, loose, loosely related to Arsenal, um, as opposed to breaking news. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's been a few days since uh, the, you know, the Declan Rice saga and it continues to go on. Um, we, we got confirmation today that it seems it looks as if Jorginho will be staying so we can we can dabble in in those things but um I was more interested in the overall picture of what's happening at Arsenal and what the goal looks like it will be going into next season um, and I wanted to start off by talking about the loney players that have just finished their or they'll be coming at the end of their spells in the next three days um and they'll be coming back to Coney or you know we, we hope some of them will be anyway um mm-hmm. so just wanted to kind of pick your brains and then maybe go through them to to, to have a brief discussion on where their future is whether it's at, it's at Arsenal or somewhere else um and I think it will be nice if we maybe started off with a really promising young prospect who um, was at Norwich City for the latter part of the season. And, uh, you know, a name that uh, I, I feel like anyway, we've uh, almost forgotten about this this young man, uh, Marquinhos, who had somewhat of a successful spell at um, Norwich. He is, he is he still at Brazil or is he not? I don't think so in any case 
Um, Andrew, what what do you make of Marquinhos's future? Is there another loan spell? Do you think in the horizon, or do you think that he might be someone Arteta could be looking at to use as a um, utility player? Mm, really good question. The honest answer I have is that I don't know. Honestly, I don't know enough about him, and I haven't seen enough of him to make a, a real assessment of his quality or his potential or or indeed his readiness to to play i would strongly suspect based on the the fact that i think he he had maybe 10 11 games for norwich he got a, a goal and an assist that he has still got some way to go before he could realistically push for a place in an arsenal team that is hopefully going to improve on what we did last season, you know, which was really, uh, really impressive, challenging for the title, basically all the way through the league. I, I would, I would doubt he's ready to be part of that, you know, and, and we no longer have the Europa League games in which to give players like him and maybe some fringe players the time to get minutes under their belt and, and try and impress. You know, we're going to be in the Champions League next season. You have to take that seriously. You have to have a squad that can that can live with the quality that's in the Champions League. And and my strong suspicion is that he will go on loan again. I think that will probably be the best thing for him, whether it's Premier League or somewhere else. I, I think the important thing at this point for him is to play play regularly and maybe in 12 months we'll be in a better position to know what kind of a player we have on our hands. Mm. Um, Adam, just moving on from Marquinhos uh, to another young um, individual who was on loan to... God, I forgot where he was on loan to. Um, but Burnley Burnley have been sniffing around and company seems to think they could mould uh, Albert Sambula-Conga. Yeah, into, he was on loan at Palace. That's right, yes, Palace. Um, and at the beginning of that loan spell, it seemed like there was something there, something was happening. Um, we've often described Lukonga as, as quite, you know, feeble, uh, maybe someone who shies away when on the pitch. Do, do you think that he, he needs another loan spell or do you think that, maybe he just needs to be put into the deep end um, despite knowing what often happens when he is put in the deep end. I, I don't know if he's ready for the deep end and I also think he's he's by 23 now. So for me, if there's the option to get a fee for him this summer, I would probably just cut ties and move on there. I, I think he, he's got a lovely touch. He's composed on the ball. He can carry but it's just his off the ball. He doesn't have that natural sense of danger and so on. It's the positioning. It's also not knowing quite where he fits. Is he an eight? Is he a six? And he's not really either. And I don't see him being a goal scorer in that because what we've had with Granit Xhaka is a goal scorer. What we've got with Thomas Pardy is someone who really holds that position. So I don't really see Lukonga being either. And yeah, he had some good games at the start of his spell at Palace. So particularly against Liverpool, he had a very good game. The minute Roy Hodgson came back, that was him done. He barely stepped foot in the pitch. And when you're fighting for relegation and you're trying to pick your best team and he's not getting a look in, that, that says a lot about him. And it's probably not a good sign for Arsenal. So for me, I'd be happy to move him on this summer. 
Mm, that's interesting because I mean, when I look at uh, the current the make, current makeup of the squad and, and what we what we need going into next season and what we currently have and what's abundantly clear is that we need a number of central midfielders um, if it's to be believed that both Shaka and Partey will be leaving and if Declan Rice comes in we're still going to need at least I would say I would argue anyway another two midfielders to give that depth um, in that part of the pitch but also the right type of depth a bit of quality but also um, individuals who are you know, who, who will know that their place won't be in the starting lineup every week. Um, give me your take on this, Andrew. I, I mean, I know Mohamed Awaneni is still there. And, well, I mean, as far as I know, as, as far as I can remember, is there anyone else in central midfield? I don't think so. How do you mean? Um, so, uh, aside from Shaka and Partey, um, Jorginho well. right perfect so Jorginho has confirmed that he's going to say but is that enough what do you think we should do with Lokonga is it worth thinking about maybe integrating him back into the squad if it's to be believed that we're going to spend a shitload of money on um, Rice and Kai Havertz who we've just signed as well as you know a few others mm. I mean I think a lot depends on what happens with Thomas Partey if Thomas Partey goes then you need another quality midfield player you need somebody who's ready Declan Rice and Kai Havertz is not enough to replace um Granit Xhaka and Thomas Partey even if they might end up being like for like replacements you know uh, Rice playing in the deeper role and Kai Havertz playing in the in the Xhaka role I still think you would need something else in midfield um Jorginho has been good El Nenny I think is a good pro but you know, hasn't played a lot of minutes in the last couple of years. He is a little bit injury prone. He's had some injuries and, and all the rest of it. Um, so it will depend on what happens with Partey. I, I, I have a suspicion that Arsenal can't really let the two starting midfield players from last season go. It feels like too much change unless they've got somebody else ready to come in and and take over from Partey. I mean, from what we understand, Arsenal are, you know, obviously going to try and buy Declan Rice. Um, Kai Havertz is, is done. Uh, we're just waiting for that to be announced. And then they are after the defender from Ajax, Urien uh, Timber. So if all those deals go through, that's £200 million of an outlay, which is a hell of a lot of money on three players. And I don't know how much room it gives you to bring in any, anybody else financially anyway, unless you, unless you sell. Now, maybe you sell Partey and you use the money you get for Partey to buy a Partey replacement. Uh, I don't know how much we will get. There's talk of Italy. There's talk of Saudi Arabia, of course. Um, but I think it would be a big, big gamble to let both Shaka and Partey go in the one window, unless there is a very clear plan on another quality midfield player coming through. So it's a, it's going to be an interesting one to see how this one plays out uh, over the course of the summer. I, I suspect that unless the offer for Partey is, is basically unturned downable, uh, he, he, he could stay. 
You know, and it's quite nerve-wracking, isn't it, to see both of our um, two very important individuals leave in in the manner that they're leaving in with with Shaka's fee reported to be very low. And if um, Part A was to depart over to Juve for the reported amount between, was it 15 to 17 mil? It would be crazy to see two of our best players leave a, uh, on a fee of about 30 mil. Um, yeah, we could do that. That'd be devastating. Um, so, okay, uh, just just before we move on to, to discuss other topics, um, a few more individuals that I just wanted to have a chat about. Um, let's talk about the big man himself, uh, following Balogun. Me and you, Adam, have spoken at lengths uh, about him, uh, the conundrum. What, what do we do? Uh, the, you know, more reports are coming out about potential a potential price tag of about fifty mil. So, uh, yeah. Uh, well, well, actually, on that, I've got a question for Andrew mm. because what, what was it you quoted last week when you were talking to James? Was it twenty two million? I, ne- I nearly crashed my car driving home, and I, I couldn't believe. I was like twenty two million. So we, I, we we can't let him go for that, and then uh, I think there was a few movements up and down on your fee, but but yeah, I was gobsmacked. Well, I think I think this is going to be a fascinating one as well. Um, I think Mikel Arteta's got a bit of a decision to make here. You know, the, there's the element of cashing in, and again, we come back to the the possible two hundred million euros or pounds rather that Arsenal might spend let's say by the end of this week if all goes according to plan you know within the next seven days if Arsenal get Declan Rice they get Timber they've got Havertz 200 million pounds you've got to get something back in you absolutely have to there's no two ways about it now there are other players who are in the departure lounge you could talk about Kieran Tierney you could talk about Rob Holding you could talk about um who was I going to say? Nicholas Pepe. You could talk about Lukonga. But there's one hot property who you could probably guarantee a, a pretty good fee for, and that is Balagoon after the season that he's had in, in France. Um, and I wonder, I just wonder if the, the, the demands of bringing in a £100 million player have a knock-on effect for something like this where maybe in an ordinary summer, in ideal circumstances, you hang on to this guy and you give him a chance and you see what he can do. But because he's, he's, he's real hot right now to uh, you know, uh, go Zoolander on the whole thing, he, um, he might well need to be sold, even if it wouldn't necessarily be the thing that we would want to do 100%. Does that make sense? So... I, I have a feeling that the financial demands, because, you know, don't forget we spent money on Trossard in January. We spent money on Kivior in January. We spent fairly big money last summer. We spent really big money the summer before. So Arsenal have been spending, 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 and there has to be a point where that is balanced out by some incoming uh, money. And I think he is the prime candidate to provide that for Arsenal this summer. Mm. Okay, well, just on the money topic, um, good segue to move on to to another topic that I wanted to talk about is the reality of our financial situation and maybe the different types of models that we're seeing in the Premier League. You've got Chelsea who... 
um, were on the brink of really f- suffering maybe their own 115 charges, but bailed out, it seems, by the Saudis um, in comparison. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I think there's something, I just read something a little bit earlier today that the money that they've got in from the Saudi, uh, the players who have gone to Saudi Arabia can't be used to offset the FFP. Okay. So, oh, interesting. So I, yeah, I think I saw that um, somewhere and I have to, I've got the article open somewhere and I should have read it before we came on, but I don't think it's quite as cut and dried. I mean, it does look a bit dodgy and a bit suspicious, but I think there's something about where the money is coming from that means it can't be used to, to offset their, their, yeah. Yeah, sorry, something just happened in the background. I heard a little click. I thought you just disappeared and into thin air, but no, you're still with us. <laughs> no, I'm still here. I'm still here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're all good. Okay, so uh, that's that's very interesting. Um, that's music to my ears, actually, because um, the reality, I mean, it seems that uh, we, have, we have built this perception that Arsenal don't have the money or Arsenal need to be really careful when they're spending money because... Um, we have X amount or we have a limited amount of money to spend. Um, are, are we made of money or do we have the flexibility to spend like others do frivolously? Even though it's not within ourselves, it's not attached to the values that we follow uh, You know, um, as a club. Um, should, should we be worried about you know, spending 200 mil and, and, and not maybe offsetting... Um, players to balance the books a little bit is that for me yeah 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 well yes i think so i mean there's no such thing as free money and the money that arsenal have spent you know we don't have the the model of the the benefactor owner right i think what we've seen is that that kse and and stan and josh Cronkey have been willing to get involved financially um, because they obviously paid off the, the, the stadium loan. They refinanced the stadium loan, right? Um, they have obviously provided a hell of a lot of money in the last few windows. When you think about the summer that we brought in, Ramsdale, Odegaard, Tommy Asu, Ben White, Lukonga, and Nuno Tavares, right? Um, and then, you know, last summer we did all, all the business, um, did we do anything in the, the, the January? I can't remember if we did anything in the, um, Trossard. Yeah. But the previous January, oh, okay. Sorry. Um, um, I don't know that we did. I don't know that we did. And, you know, beyond selling Joe Willock for a substantial fee, you know, then you've spent money on Gabriel Jesus, Fabio Vieira. Zinchenko, uh, Matt Turner. We have not brought in a lot of money. We really haven't. And I think there is a need to balance the books because I think what what uh, the way that these deals are being financed, if they are being facilitated by the owners, if the owners are pulling some strings or pulling some levers or whatever way you want to put it to, to help release uh, cash for Arsenal to use, that money still has to be paid back. You know, the transfer fees have to be paid to other clubs. Mm. So um, I think it's really, really important that Arsenal sell well. 
I think it is important for the club's finances and for our ability maybe to to spend more if we can sell well, if we can sell players, if we can bring in good fees, it helps balance things out and, and you can then you can then uh, maybe use a bit more money in the transfer market because it's not an endless pot of cash that the Cronkies and KSE are providing. They're providing the facility to spend money rather than Stan saying, you know what, I will buy you Gabriel Jesus, I will buy you Zinchenko, I will buy Declan Rice. Don't think for a second that the Declan Rice deal could happen without the Cronkies, you know, doing what they do or, or, or as the owners making cash available, but it's not like that money is coming out of their pockets and going into the transfer fee, you know, the way it did with... Um, the way it did with uh, Abramovich, for mm. example, mm. right? So, you know, if if Arsenal is a, a club that is going to be run as an as a self sustaining model, all that kind of stuff, we have to start selling well because we really haven't. When you look at some of the fees, you know that we've got in, they're they're pretty small. Beyond Joe Willock, you know, there was ten million for Genduzi, five million for Terrera. Five million for Burned Leno. I think we got a couple of extra million because um, I think it was three million. We got an extra two million because Fulham stayed up. You know what else are we doing in the in the um, in the well, departure lounge? Not very why, much. Why do you We've think got- that is? Why do you think Arsenal are unable? I mean, it seems like Arsenal are the only club in the Premier League who are unable to offload their players at a reasonable price. Um, well, and, and that's yeah. something else I wanted to talk about. Are we respected by clubs um, in during the transfer windows? Well, you know, I think what it comes down to, I'm very interested to see how Manchester United sell players mm. this summer because I think they're in a slightly similar position where they've got a lot of players who are, you know, on the down or considered somewhat damaged goods or who've had a, a bad period. And I think that is the reality of what Arsenal have had to contend with. They're trying to sell players that people don't really want or don't want to spend a great deal of money for. And, and that's wages, a consequence. Yeah. Yeah, and on big wages. Yeah, exactly. You know, and and we have had a collection of players come through the club or or age their way through the club that have been really, really difficult to move on. Very, very difficult to sell. You're cancelling contracts. Think of how many contracts we cancelled with Mustafi, Kalasinac, Socrates, Ozil, Aubameyang. You know, big guys on big money who were just too old. And then the other players who were kind of below that beyond Willock, as I said, because people could see the potential of Joe Willock and and don't forget that Joe Willock went to Newcastle and scored like eight or nine games in a row and became like an immediate hero there. And I think there was a clamor on the, on, on, you know, behalf of their fans to bring him in. You know, he made himself hot with a hot streak, Joe Willock. Would we have got 28 million for him if, if he hadn't scored eight, nine games in a row? No chance. You might get a good, uh, you know, a half decent fee, fifteen million, something like that. But, but, I think what what we have going for us now is that we are a good team, and we've got good players, and we've also got good players who can't get into the team, and those players are more valuable. Those players actually have some value in the market, and I think that's where I'm really curious to see this summer. Not only what what Edu is going to do from an incoming point of view, but is he going to be able to sell some of these guys and you know get a bit of cash in and 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 not not necessarily balance the books, but offset some of the spending. 
Mm. Yeah, and another player that we could potentially raise a bit of cash from that's kind of been forgotten about is Charlie Patino. So there's been a lot of noise around Balogun, but if Patino is to go with him being homegrown, a big, big prospect and someone that did okay in the championship in a very, very poor team, he could be someone that brings just a, a little bumper into the budget and helps knock it up, and hopefully we have some kind of buyback in there too. Yeah, sure. I don't I don't know how much we're going to get for him this summer, but maybe there is a sell-on clause or maybe there is a, you know, uh, something that could become valuable if if the potential is realized in the next couple of years, you know. Um I don't I don't know that he did so much at Blackpool last season that people will be going, "Yeah, we've got, we've got to have him." He's obviously very highly rated, still quite young, but I I would be I would be surprised if we got anything really significant for him, but fingers crossed. Yeah. Heading into next season, um, obviously the key theme here is depth and is adding onto the bench and is making sure that if somebody is either suspended or injured, we have a like for like. Um, And and it got me thinking about um, the, the performance level of the the default starting eleven, how well we were playing in the early stages of last season with the regular s- starters, um, and then as soon as we started to rotate a little bit, performances would drop off. Are we capable of performing at our best with a rotating side next season? If we're, if that's going to be the case, if the, if the reality is we're going to have to rotate regularly in order to. Um, try and avoid things like injuries, but also perform at peak uh, levels. That's yeah, I think Go on. Sorry, Adam, you go. I was, I was just going to jump in the silence there. But yeah, I think absolutely. That's something Arteta touched on in his interview last week as well, where he said about injuries costing us. And I think the reality is Pep, uh, Arteta worked with Pep at City. He saw what it, it takes to win. He saw what it takes to basically the, the level of rotation and the quality that you need within your squad. So Pep works with a relatively small squad. It's about 18 to 20 players, but it's 18 to 20 world-class players. And I think with with more quality added, it will enable us to rotate that bit more. And that's definitely the next stage of the evolution at Arsenal. It wasn't our starting eleven that cost us the title. It was depth. Yeah, yeah, and, and but I, I do slightly worry for the, um, the the not necessarily the B team, but you know the rotating starting eleven. Is, is it is the power there? Um, is the ability still there? Are we going to be able to perform at such levels with without, let's say, an Odegaard for a game or uh, a Martinelli or a Jesus? Um, I, I don't know. I just got. The, the main feeling I got from last season was we need to play these 11 players every single game. Otherwise, we could be in big trouble. Um, and so back in the Champions League next season, expected to challenge again for the Premier League. And um, a bit of silverware would be nice because it's been a few seasons without one. And, you know, being an Arsenal fan, we're pretty used to lifting something every couple of seasons. Um, so, Andrew, again, same question for you. Do you think that we're going to be able to uh, perform at a really high level whilst also rotating? Good question. I think this is the next step 
of Mikel Arteta, where this is what he's got to add to his wheelhouse. I think he's been very successful um, in growing this team, but using a very small pool of players. Like his trusted group is quite small. And at the end of this season, or last season rather, he said something along the lines of, you have to have 22 or 24 players fit and ready to go in April and May. Now, I don't think we're, we're going to have that. That's too many. But maybe we've got a pool now instead of 14 or 15 where it's 18 or 19. The challenge for Mikel Arteta is to, to use all of those players and to find ways of changing up his team, maybe changing his formation, certainly changing... Uh, team selections and what have you with more frequency than we might like and maintaining the level and the quality of the football that we play. Um, so I'm, re I'm again, fascinated to see how he copes with that. He's certainly aware that he's going to need a bigger pool of players and going to have to use a bigger pool of players, but he hasn't done it before. He hasn't done it until now. And I think this is going to be one of the features of next season where, you know, maybe he's feeling his way a little bit. Um, again, it depends on the quality of the players that he brings in and, and who develops, you know, internally and all the rest of it. Uh, you know, if he can get more from some of the players that, that didn't play a great deal last season, um, that might be a big help too, you know? So I think this is the challenge, you know, it's, it's different. Um, Champions League and Premier League is different from, Premier League and Europa League. I think it is, even in the minds of the players. I think they approach and think about the Champions League in a different way from the way they would uh, uh, think about the Europa League. And I'm not saying they didn't take it seriously or they weren't professional or anything like that, but how many times do you hear about a player, you know, he wants to go to a club that's playing Champions League football. They all want to play in the Champions League. And, um, you know, we're going to have to really scrap on two fronts. Uh, and we've got to make sure that we've got the the depth to do it, but also that the manager can shuffle his pack efficiently um, to keep those levels high. Yeah, I mean, preseason is going to be fascinating, isn't it? Because we're going to be seeing, I guess, the first signs of what Arteta's image and vision is of playing football on the pitch. Um, the, the, the Premier League were taken by surprise last season when we were coming up against, um, you know, difficult team after difficult team but managing to almost walk past them because of the real intensity in the way that we were playing football next season it will be very different um adam what do you think that we're going to see different on the pitch uh next season what do you think that arteta's next phase is in in the footballing development side of things i have no idea that's i think that's the most exciting thing because i didn't see this season coming in the way it's come together but I I guess one of the things just from the end of season positional tests that we saw, perhaps him going with taller defenders for certain games. So maybe Zinchenko dropping out and the likes of a KVR coming in. And again, it depends on Timber, where he plays, how much he plays. So I could imagine a bit of tinker in there where he solidifies the team for bigger games. But 
in terms of the build-up in smaller games and outside the kind of cities and maybe a Liverpool, I can't see a huge amount changing. It's probably going to be more, hopefully more efficient, moving faster. I, the biggest thing that I think Arteta will want to see is less mistakes. So we conceded a lot of goals through individual mistakes and we had to score a lot of goals because we conceded a lot. And the next stage of the evolution is probably playing good, exciting football, but shoring yourself up at the back and ensuring there aren't the big gaps. And if you watch Man City, they play a very high line, but they don't give a huge amount of stupid mistakes away and they do really suffocate teams. So I, I would say that with Timber coming in, it would it will allow us, if Saliba drops out, to continue to play the high line because that was a major part of our downfall and continue to dominate the game further up the park. So that, that's probably what I imagine happening, but there's going to be so many like micro tweaks that we'll see from Arteta that it's just so difficult to predict what he's actually going to do because even throughout this or last season, there was multiple changes in tactics throughout where things just evolved as the season went on. And I can expect the same happening this year. So it's very, very difficult. Even right now with um, what we were talking about with Partey and Shaka, it's who replaces Granite Shaka because I, I personally just don't see Havertz as a number eight. And it'll be interesting to see how our midfield lines up with that in mind. So right now, I think it's probably too early to tell until we get the sign-ins in. But the, the key thing I think Arteta will want is to concede less goals because you can't concede as many as we did and go on and win a title. Yeah, and look, some of the really good things that we managed to do last season, things like playing out from the back, playing a high line, interchanging trio up front, overlapping wingers, um, advancing midfielders who hold their positions on the edge of the box. These are very fine, uh, you know, within those things that I mentioned, they're fine details that I'm sure Arteta implemented to make sure that we score the amount of goals that we scored last season. But um, those those final 10 games, we really capitulated and that comes down to a number of different factors. I would argue one of them being dropping a level of intensity or maybe having too much complacency. Andrew, if there's one area that needs developing, that needs to be tightened up, what do you think that one um, sort of thing would be. If I mean, you, it's if, hard if, to argue. It's yeah, hard you, to argue with the c- conceding goals thing, right? Hmm. Um, maybe, maybe in some games we could be a bit more ruthless. Maybe that might be the area that we could look to improve. So you know what? What immediately uh, comes to mind for me is the the West Ham game and also, you know, the Liverpool game uh, where we were playing really well, absolutely on top. And then we allowed the opposition back into it. And I think we've got to step on their necks in situations like that next season. You know, we've got to, you know, you're two nil up against West Ham in 10, 12 minutes be four nil up in half an hour. Then you can, not relax, but you know, you've got control of the game. So um, that would be the one, but I do think, yes, defensively, there are certainly some issues for, uh, for the manager to consider. 
Um, this might even come back to, um, you know, the injury stuff that you were talking about and having more depth and being able to rotate and being able to trust the players uh, that you that you've got on the bench. So I think th- those are the two things that I would uh, I would suggest. Okay, um, Adam, how many signings do Arsenal need to make, and what positions um, are, would they be t- in order to challenge next season? Because I, I'm I'm a firm believer that I do think we will challenge again next season. And actually, the last time me and you spoke, Andrew, um, you know, <laughs> we we were we had already won the league. You know, we were already picking our <laughs> outfits for the 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 parade. Um, so, and then you know, heartbreaking stuff at the back end of last season, but. Adam, do you think that number one, um, you know, how many how many signings do you think Arsenal are going to make, and what positions? And also number two, are we? Do you think the the the, the mental strength is there to go again? Yeah, the mental strength is absolutely there. If you listen to what Odegaard said last week, he was basically we're going to challenge next season, and he said he'll never forget this season because of how much it hurts. So, I think a bit like missing out in top four. This group of players have a mentality that they want to go on and win. It's like they have one downfall. They're going to come back harder. And you add quality to that mentality and you're going to get a winning formula. So it's about getting the right characters in that continue to grow there. And obviously, that's one of the reasons we want to sign Declan Rice. So in terms of the numbers, I've said for a long time, I think four quality players and Three were being very heavily linked with. Now Havertz looks like it's done. So I would put him in the forward category. Uh, Then Timber, our defensive signing. Rice, hopefully it happens. And I would like another midfielder. I agree very much with Andrew on that. So it's uh, if we can get four players in, I think that solidifies us. And then potentially maybe a younger player that we're able to bring in that's not a a big money signing but again there is the it kind of depends on who leaves as well if there was a surprise departure because that could change things but the only one I guess I really see is Kieran Tierney and I I can see maybe us not bringing in a left back to replace him and using a Tomiyasu or Kivior there for example or possibly even Timber and then having multiple players that can fill across a few different positions so if we got four quality players in and then potentially a young player that we could start batting in with time and giving him minutes here and there absolutely we can challenge and again it's about keeping the right players in the right positions but the, the core of that squad's there and the biggest signing we are going to make this summer is William Saliba and that's we're just waiting for the official announcement now. So, so yeah, the core of our squad is class. It, it's top class. And it's adding those players to complement that and ensure that they have the same mentality as the squad we've got. So if we get those in, absolutely, we're going to be there. And we've got the manager that's probably even more determined than any one of us. So that's another massive thing. Yeah. Arteta mentioned in his interview um, with Marker that next season will be 
probably the most difficult season because of what's happening in and around us um, with clubs, you know, whether whether they're spending like crazy or whether they're making shrewd acquisitions, the football is getting better and it's getting more competitive. Um, so, Andrew, I want to ask you the same question. How many signings do you expect Arsenal to make in what positions as well? And do you think we've got the, um, the mental strength, the psychological advantage to challenge next season ahead of the, the others who are, you know, uh, right behind us on our on our tails. I think um, I think maybe in total we'll bring in five. Um, the three that have already been mooted. Hopefully we can get those over the line. But I do think further spending will will take place later in the window. Uh, I come back to the Partey thing. If Partey goes, then it's another midfielder has to come in. So there's four. And I just would not be surprised if we brought in another wide attacking player, another winger would not surprise me in the slightest. I know there's a lot of talk about Reese Nelson and, and talk about his new contract. I'm not 100% convinced that that's going to happen. You know, a lot of talk that it will, but we're uh, running very quickly towards the point where his contract expires, which is in three days. So um, nothing's happened yet, which is just a bit unusual. So we'll wait and see what the next couple of days brings. But I think five would not surprise me. It may well depend on on outgoings as well. And do we have the mental strength? I mean, I think what we saw last season was in some ways a response to how the previous season ended, you know, not making the top four. I think that was a huge disappointment to this group of players. And I think they used that disappointment to 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 improve and to, you know, they used it as a, a motivation. And I think what happened last season, you could do exactly the same. You could do exactly the same, that you were taught a lesson by what happened that anything other than basically perfection you're not going to win the league and if you want to win the league you've got to raise your standards and raise your level and maintain the competitiveness from august all the way through to may and we all know the reasons why it didn't quite happen for arsenal right we don't need to go over those again but i think the the point is about using those using those pain or using that pain and those scars to to improve again next season. I think what Adam said about the core of the squad is absolutely spot on. It's it's good. It's young. It's hungry. They will want to do better. And I think yes, we can. Uh, we can uh, continue on this trajectory because you know why not? Why not? You know, you look at how we played. You look at the players we've got. It's not an accident. It wasn't just a fluke. Yeah. We've got good players. We've got a good manager, and this is a team you know that that's going places. So fingers crossed, you know we can we can continue next season as well. Yeah, and um, still a way to go before the season starts. Still lots of work to be done. Um, um, you know, despite so much happening around us in terms of speculation and news, uh, one can't feel a little bit hollow inside with the vacancy or the emptiness of the of the Emirates. Um, the atmosphere that we managed to create last season, we're yearning for that again, aren't we, Adam? And 
in that, Arsenal have um, announced a bit of a change to the ticketing system. Uh, what are your thoughts on the red membership ballot system? Yeah, I mean, I, I hope it's going to be good. I'm going into it with optimism. So I was one of the many that struggled to get tickets last year. So I've been a silver member for about 15 years. And just last year was the first time I, I really struggled to get tickets. So I think anything that's implemented that will lead to positive change is good. And I, I like that the club are taking action. I know it's been met with mixed reviews, but it can't be any worse than last season. And I think the big thing for fans to remember is a lot of these third-party sites don't actually have the tickets that they're claiming to sell. So it's very easy to get outraged when we see third-party sites ripping us off for tickets, but just don't buy them. And uh, if it, hopefully we will get tickets the proper way through the club. So for me, any change that's going to hopefully lead to a fairer process is great. And hopefully they don't keep thinking I'm a robot every time I refresh my screen to try and get a ticket. Yeah, Andrew, you, you've written a piece about it on the website, uh, on the blog, sorry. Um, do you think this is going to be a better system than what we had before? Um, what kind of potential problems are we likely to see? Because it's obviously it's yet to be tested out. Um, to be honest, I didn't write about it. Uh, maybe Tim... Stillman wrote about it, or maybe it was a piece on the news Apologies, site. Andrew Allen, yeah. Yeah, it was an, probably Andrew Allen who wrote about it. I, you know, I'm going to sit here and say I don't know enough about what's changing yet to have any uh, strong opinion on this. Uh, I don't I don't really know what's happening. Um, so Can I quickly tell you? Um, just from the article. I understand this is a, this sort of a ballot, yeah. Um, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, just just from the Arsenal website itself, um, I think it's uh, red membership ticket ballots for home fixtures will be held approximately four to six weeks prior to each fixture. Um, please note timings may be condensed around cup games and matches at the start of the season. Um, <laughs> that's the only <laughs> bit of real important <laughs> information on this. The rest of it is pretty much, you know... Um, mm you can make sense of it yourself. Uh, yeah. I mean, look, I hope it is a way for people, you know, more people to get access to tickets, particularly at a, in a period where the team is, is good and, and um, demand is, is really high. Uh, I guess like every ticketing system, there are going to be people who think it's, it's good and people who, uh, you know, might feel aggrieved because, you know, they've been going all the time and now all of a sudden it's more difficult for them to get tickets. But, you know, I have to hold my hands up on this one and say I, I haven't read up on this sufficiently to have a strong opinion on it one way or the other. Okay. Well, the last 10 minutes of the show, um, I want to just quickly kind of uh, steer away from Arsenal a little bit and talk about the larger things that are happening in and around football that does have an implication on Arsenal and does affect us. And that is the crazy amount of money that's been spent. So um, we've spoken a lot about money <laughs> and, you know, how much Arsenal have spent and how much others have. Um, but the big player in this is the Saudi League who are coming in and um, signing a large number of 
really talented players. And I think this is the first time we're seeing this happen at such a large scale. I know China and Russia had their attempts, but this is on a, on a really another grand scale. Um, so I want to ask you, Andrew, Adam, you answered at the beginning that um, Saudi money is damaging the purity of global football. What are your opinions on this? Well, I mean, it's it's really very interesting, isn't it, that the Premier League as a financial powerhouse in world football is now facing, uh, you know, an existential threat from elsewhere. Um, you know, if Saudi Arabia wants to build their own league and develop the quality of players in their league, and by doing so, you know, spending a lot of money to bring in, you know, good players from Europe and around the world, they're perfectly within their rights to do that. Um, you know, it's just basically what the Premier League have been doing for years and years and years. They cherry pick the best players from all over, from every single uh, country, from every single league, um, you know, beyond the superstar players at the superstar clubs, you know, the Premier League just hoovers up everybody, every single player. And they blow everybody else out of the water financially. And now this is potentially what's going to happen to Premier League clubs. So from that perspective, it's it's very interesting. My concern would be what it does to the market. You know, it's already a weird, a weird financial landscape that we're living in. And it may artificially, no, I guess artificially is not the right word, but it may inflate that market even further that within the Premier League, all the clubs are are wealthy because of the um, you know because of the broadcast money and and uh, you know the prize money that's in the in the Premier League. So prices are high as it is. If they get a lot more money in, you know, let's say you know Wolves have got fifty uh, six million pounds for Ruben Neves, right? Now I know they had some financial problems and and what have you, but let's say just. Imagine that they've got this 56 million pounds and now they're going to go spend it somewhere. Like who's going to give them a, a good deal if they know that wolves are flush with this much cash, you know, it's, it's, um, I think it is going to have, I'm, I'm really curious to see how much business is done between the premier league and, and Saudi Arabian clubs in this summer. I think maybe, you know, at the end of the window, at the start of September, we might be in a better position to to assess, you know, what the impact of this has been. But I do think it could have a very significant financial effect on the transfer market, which is already out of control mm. or, you know, ludicrous. I mean, look, I like Declan Rice a lot. I think he's a really good player. But Arsenal are going to – they're going to have to spend £100 million. £100 million on one footballer. And I know that's the market, market forces and all the rest of it, but I think we lose sight of just how much money that is. It's extraordinary, you know? And I think if Saudi Arabian clubs come and buy more players from the Premier League, Premier League clubs have got more money to spend. Um, other clubs will look for more money from Premier League players and you get this inflationary thing. You know, we talk all the time or I have talked often about, you know, football being a bubble and the bubble will burst at some point. It just keeps going. Mm. I don't know that it bursts. And I think what's going to happen this summer with Saudi Arabian clubs is 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 going to inflate that bubble even more. Yeah, I, I guess what, what really concerns me is how normalised it's becoming and what that does to 
the mindset, like the, the shifting in mentality and thinking when us fans, when we're discussing um, football or, you know, football finance or football business, it's no longer finding the right individuals or it's no longer finding uh, the right route. It's it's a case of who can spend the most money and who can outbid each other. Um, I don't think it was ever like that. You know, once upon a time, we were really digging deep to find the gems. Um, and but now it, it just... It was like that. But it was always like that. It was always, you know, Blackburn won the league because they spent a load of money. Manchester United mm. were so dominant because they generated a lot of money, you know? Um, but on a, lar- on a large scale, you know? Oh, sure. It's gone to a completely different level now where you have nation states owning football clubs and people are trying to say that that's a normal thing. I don't think it is and I don't think it should be, but it, you know, you're right to say it has become slightly normalized. There is a difference between the resources of one man, one billionaire, one businessman, whatever you 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 want to say, and that's not to defend billionaires or anything like that, but there is a very big difference between that and the resources of the, the the financial resources of an extremely wealthy uh, state you know that is a that's a it's different there's no getting around that there's no justifying it there's no saying well it's you know it's not saudi arabia that owns newcastle it's the public investment fund but that that is basically saudi arabia <laughs> um you know you can't fool people and i think it's it's gone to a different it's gone to a different level and i don't know that there's any way of putting the the the, the horse back in the stable, you know. Mm. James, oh, James, <laughs> Adam, um, the, the, I guess I, I can live with one monopoly. You know, I could live with maybe Chelsea under Abramovich um, because we're all in the same boat together, and we can sort of live our lives. Um, Without having, without having that, letting that affect us too much, although you know they won this, the league in the, in the first season, but um, now it's just become it's, it's in every corner of your you know uh, vision. Wherever you look, that conversation is there. That narrative is is, is happening. It's unfolding. Um, what needs to be done in order to maybe control this level of? Um, ridiculous amounts of money that's being i i would say irresponsibly spent or um there, i mean there's definitely an undertone of you know a secondary objective in in the way that the money's being spent you know for example the pif we know that the money's being spent in order to glamorize or make the 2030 vision that much more attractive um so what do you think the the, the premier league or UEFA or FIFA need to do in order to try and put this under wraps or whether they even need to do that? Yeah, I think, well, first off would be actually implementing FFP. And the first step to that is something which I don't think will actually happen. And that's actually doing something with Man City's charges. I think, as Andrew said, the, the Declan Rice thing, 100 million for one player. We're talking about this like it's a normal amount of money. And we we found outrage that we aren't just paying what West Ham want and also paying 100 million for Caicedo. So it we've become completely desensitized to obscene amounts of money, which I, I, when I said about the Saudi money 
taking away the purity of the game. There hasn't been a purity in particularly the Premier League for a long, long time. But I think the 115 charges against City, we don't even hear about them. It's City are ambitious. If Declan Rice has any ambition, he'll go to City. They've got 115 charges against them for essentially financial doping and um, misreporting their figures and so on. So, but again, we're just, the mainstream media are just glossing over that. We've just seen all the celebrations for the treble, the praise they've received. The players on the pitch, absolutely superb, but they were purchased because of that money. And um, so I think implementing FFP properly is the first step along that way. And interestingly, The Athletic had an article today and it was about Arsenal and FFP. And the moral of the article was we were one of the only clubs that don't need to worry about FFP right now, despite us being in the headline. So it's, it is one of those, we obviously want Arsenal to spend to keep up, but there is something that needs to be done with this level of spending. But I, I really don't see where we can go. And I think, as Andrew said, it's very difficult to put the horse back in the stable now after the, the fees blew up in 2016 when the TV money came into the Premier League. And we obviously, I think it was the minute we bought Mustafi for $35 million that everyone just thought, right, let's just go wild. So it, we're talking seven years on and they've just continued to climb and climb and climb. And I, I don't see any way of these going back down unless there's either a spend cap or real sanctions against clubs that overspend. And I think the probably the most effective punishment is a, a transfer ban. And although Chelsea had a transfer ban about two years ago and responded by just going absolutely bucked daft for the next three or four years. So it, it's a really difficult one. I, I think unless FFP is done properly, because right now it only exists for smaller clubs. None of the big clubs face any real repercussions whenever they do, whenever they spend obscenely. And let's see what happens with Chelsea on the 30th, if anything happens at all. Because I, I just don't believe it. I think we're we're past the point of them caring. They want um, the most entertaining game possible. And if that means spend an obscene amounts that generate tri- clicks, traffic and interest in the league, that'll just continue. So, so yeah, I, I don't have any confidence that it'll change anytime soon. Okay. Um, well, just before we end, Andrew, um, why don't you give us your hopes for next season? Let's end on a, on a positive note. I feel, I feel a bit deflated after having that uh, discussion about, you know, the, the money side of the game. Um, is it too early for you to make not necessarily predictions, but expectations? I mean, maybe, yeah, because, you know, we don't know the state of the squad and we don't know who's going to be, we don't know who's going to be in it. And, you know, I think it is a little bit early, but I I hope obviously that we can continue to challenge, that we can push City all the way again, uh, or maybe somebody else all the way. You just don't know. Have a good crack at the Champions League and have another enjoyable, fun season because, you know, regardless of how it ended, it was a really, really fun season all the way through. And uh, I'd like more of the same. So that's it at this point. Talk to me later in the summer. We'll see. Good stuff. Okay, brilliant. Well, 
it's that time of the show again where we must say goodbye. Um, I want to say a massive thank you first and foremost to Andrew or Osblog for taking the time out this evening to join us and to chat with us. Um, you can find him on Twitter at Osblog and also make sure to check out the Askcast Extra on all the podcast streaming platforms. Andrew, anything in the pipeline that you want to tell us about? Nope. Sorry, no. <laughs> trying to live and a quiet just, life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm trying to get. I'm trying to just sort of uh, take some distance with the summer. You know, obviously keep on top of everything, but not get sucked into the madness. So uh, that's that's where I am. I'm just standing, looking over at all the all the craziness that's happening below me. And uh, yeah, so for now nothing i'll let you know though. if anything is stirring i'll let you know don't worry wicked okay once again i want to say a massive thank you to everyone who's listened up until this point thank you very very much um if you did enjoy this episode please do give us a five-star review on apple podcast and spotify let us know what you thought of the show by reaching out to us on twitter you can find us over there at arsenal therapy you can also find adam over there at adam keys underscore and you can find me over there at gunner since 96 as always we will be back next week to give you your usual weekly dose of arsenal therapy but if you can't wait until then head over to the arsenal therapy youtube channel for the 15 minute show where we'll be taking you through all the latest bits of arsenal updates every tuesdays and thursdays at 8 30 a.m and yes you guessed it the show is indeed 15 minutes long so until then take care have a great week and we'll speak to you soon thank you very much bye bye <laughs>